Where's the mime tradition in Texas's history? Howdy, and welcome to Come and Take It, a show about Texas by Texans. I'm your host, Mike Zolkowski, a son of San Antone, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Sean McIver. Bonjour, y'all. And Scott Elfstrom. Hello. All three of us born and raised in the great state of Texas. Where you hail from, Scott? I spent my entire childhood in Texas City, right on the coast. That's not a real place. It is a real place. Sean, where are you from? Uh, I graduated high school from Norman G, Texas, and I was, I was born in Sweetwater, Texas. Today, we'll be talking about France and Texas and what it means to us. Now, I have this question about why is the French flag one of the six flags over Texas? I understand Spain and Mexico and their role in Texas, and I get the French role in Louisiana in success. But I wonder, uh, why, why is the French flag over Texas? Yeah, and when I go to Six Flags in Arlington, where is the French section? Where are the uh, beignets in our culture? Where, where's, where's the mime tradition in Texas's history? The mime tradition. Okay, so... Uh, uh, we do have rodeo clowns. Maybe we those do are have rodeo clowns. All right, so before we get into this, let's talk about two points, that, two points of reference that, that we need to make. When we uh, when we're dealing with the age of exploration in America, when we say, say the words exploration and discovered, explored first, we are talking about Europeans, uh, and we know that Native Americans obviously did all these things before any of this, us white people got here. So uh, it's not a it's not a knock on the Native Americans. It's just that's generally how we were raised to say this person explored here and this person discovered this. And uh, we'd also like to apologize for any and all of the pronunciations of the French names, um, because none of us took French. I did take German. So when we get to the German towns, it's going to be very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first uh, Frenchman that we're going to discuss and his role in Texas history is René Robert Cavalier, uh, also known as Sieur de la Salle, or Robert De La Salle. That's probably the name I remember. Known as the first person um, from France to claim Texas and attempt colonization. Um, he was born in France, and he came to New, Fran New France, uh, Canada, to the rest of us. And he was the first to travel to the mouth of the Mississippi, claimed all the lands drained by it uh, for Louis the Fourteenth. And that's where we get Louisiana? Yes. Um, and this was... Um, in the 1700s, and 1784, he returned uh, to set up a colony in Louisiana, but in the grand tradition of New World explorers, um, he got his geography wrong and mistook uh, Matagorda Bay, which is on the Gulf Coast between Galveston and Corpus Christi. He mistook that for the Mississippi River Delta. Yeah, I, I it's, take, it's not a delta at all. It's not a delta at all. And no, I it's, take, it's a bay. <laughs> As somebody who spent a nice chunk of my childhood in Corpus Christi, Texas, I don't know how you look at that and think, oh, this is the Mississippi. Well, to be fair, he, he did go down the Mississippi. He did see Mississippi Delta from the other side going down it. So it's, it's, it's understandable he was confused. And one of the reasons why they did mistake it is that at the time, Spain had all the maps. Of the right. Gulf of Mexico. Right. So no one really knew where anything was unless they were Spaniards. And the Spaniards just didn't didn't share. Yeah. But anyway, e any way you look at it, by mistake, uh, LaSalle ended up in Texas and uh, tried to make a go of it there. He built a small fort and uh, he explored 
uh, pretty extensively. Um, he went all the way to the Rio Grande and the Pecos River Big Bend area, walking on foot. On foot. Uh, That's no, a long way. No horses or pack animals. They just walked. I, I, I pull up your Google Maps or your Bing Maps or whatever maps you like, and you go from Matagorda Bay to yeah. Big Bend. That's like Frodo-level walking. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as you would expect, um, they couldn't carry a lot of supplies with them. So his the lack of food and uh, other supplies caused them to try and find help uh, from the Illinois colonies. Um, that's also a long way to walk, I would imagine. Um, but he never made it there. He was murdered on his way there in the area near what is now uh, Navasota. Yeah, by his own men. Yeah, they shot, probably, him, in, they prob- shot him in the back. They're probably tired of walking. <laughs> they probably were. The colony only survived a little bit longer than him and was wiped out by the local native tribes. So LaSalle technically was a failure as far as a colonist, um, but he did a bit of exploring for France, and since he covered a lot of territory, uh, thanks to him, France could make a claim to Texas and that area as far south as uh, the Rio Grande. It's, it's a lot like risk. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, so that's pretty significant because... Um, that's probably, I guess, the first time that the Rio Grande was considered any sort of border for Texas. Right. right. So the the Spanish had, had basically, in, in the 1600s, given up on colonizing anything north of the Rio Grande. They kind of entrenched themselves along the Rio Grande due to just the hostility of the tribes in the area. They did try some missions uh, near what's now Nacogdoches, but they failed. And and this is kind of what th- that and a combination of some geopolitical things in France and in Europe uh, and the strength of France at the time gave them the opportunity to uh, France the opportunity to make this claim. The next person is a gentleman named Louis Joshua de Saint Denis, uh, and uh, Saint Denis is one of my favorite characters in Texas history. He's a very little known character. Um, he was born in Quebec in 1674. He was an explorer and a trader. Uh, he was very, very, very good at communicating with native tribes and 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 just ingratiating themse- himself with them. He traveled extensively in, in New France as well as uh, down into Louisiana. He set up the town. He founded the town of Natchitoches, Louisiana. Uh, that was one of the main things he's still remembered for. He's the father of Natchitoches. And that is not pronounced Natchitoches. Exactly. <laughs> it is not pronounced in any way, shape, like it is spelled. In 1711... As I said, Spain had given up on colonizing anything north of uh, the Rio Grande. A Spanish priest actually wrote a letter to the French in New France, the French governor, asking for help reestablishing the missions. And so the governor sent Saint-Denis to what is now Eagle Pass on the Rio Bravo or the Rio Grande River to set up trading links with Spain to help reestablish these missions. When he got there, he was arrested because, you know, he was considered a spy, and he probably was a spy. He was arrested, thrown in jail. And this is where his story gets great. He not only managed to talk his way out of jail, but he also wooed the commandante's granddaughter and married her. And so he went from being arrested as a spy to being the commander's son-in-law and and getting exactly what he wanted, which was the resources to help reset up these missions. Well, I just, I think it's one of those twists of like, this is some kind of crazy Robert Ludlum novel. Or He, he sounds very French. He, he is extremely French. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> Bonjour. He is he is one of the great characters. He he lived a very long life and died in the late 1700s. He was governor of Natchitoches, married throughout that time to Manuela, his Spanish bride. He was a thorn in the side of the Spaniards because as 
as relations got good and bad. Uh, he was constantly in Natchitoches, but he had really good relationships with the Caddo Indians and the, and the local tribes. His trail between Natchitoches and uh, Eagle Pass became known as El Camino Real, and the center of it was San Antonio. That was actually where San Antonio was found. It was the center point of El Camino Real, and today it is known as the Old San Antonio Road. It OSR had, on o, your highway signs. OSR on our highway signs. Uh, the town I grew up in, Normandy, actually had a monument, not to the Salle, but to the o- Old San Antonio Road, because it went through Normandy. So I have a good connection. I really like Sandini. He's a great character. And he contributed a great deal to Texas history. He's just kind of a forgotten character. I mean, it's fascinating to me that the Spanish were like, you know, we're not real big friends with the French, but we could use some help setting up these missions. Right. And and it actually prompted the Spanish to start settling north of the Rio Grande because they said, you know what? The French are going to come here if we're not going to. Next, we're going to talk about another French colony uh, a little bit further south. And this is the Champ d'Asile. And much later. It's pronounced Champ du Isle. <laughs> okay. No, it's not. This colony was established uh, quite a bit later in 1818 and is on the Trinity River near what is now Houston. It was established by some exiled officers who had been supporters of Napoleon. That didn't work out for them. But the colony failed because I assume since they were officers and pretty full of themselves, they didn't even think to plant crops or to support themselves in this brand new territory in any way by, you know, working. They set up a fantastic fort and a great armory. Yeah. The important things. Forks Um, over knives. Forks over knives. Check out. So what did they do instead? They tried to rely on local pirates for their support. That probably did not work out well for them either. It didn't work out well. But, as we were saying a moment ago, uh, the presence of the French in this area kind of pushed Spain and the U.S. to resolve some boundary disputes over the eastern border of Texas because they looked at that and were like, you know what, we need to figure this out because otherwise we're going to have a bunch of Frenchmen. And those disputes largely stemmed from the Louisiana Purchase, which stemmed from France's claim to Texas back to the LaSalle. So it all starts to link back together. Another short-lived colony uh, that the French founded in Texas was a bit later than that, a couple of decades later. It was in 1855, a gentleman named Victor Prosper Considerant. He was a utopian, a socialist utopian from Paris, and he decided to found the perfect colony, the perfect commune uh, in Texas. got some cheap land in North Texas near the new town of Dallas. He bought several hundred acres. Uh, About 350 followers joined him in this commune. And they called it La Réunion. This colony, again, sort of like the Champ de S, the Isle colony. Uh, sorry about my pronunciations. We, oui. uh, oui. pardon, 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 pardon. It failed because of poor soil, because of Texas weather. Because one thing about Texas, its weather sucks. I believe the saying is, if you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes, and it'll get worse. The Texas weather killed most of their crops. They actually had a a May blizzard followed by a June drought, followed by a June locust plague that killed all their first crop. And then also sort of like the the French officers, it was mostly intellectuals and tradesmen, and they really had no experience at working in farms. But, monsieur, we can eat our books. (laughs) Exactly. Curiously, there was a large number of watchmakers and brewers. And unfortunately, Dallas was a bit too small and far away, so they couldn't really ply their trade. The colony died within two years, but most of the tradesmen actually moved to Dallas, and uh, Dallas had a good reputation for watchmakers for a long time. The only remains are a cemetery, which is in South Dallas. 
But in the 1970s, Dallas built its brand new arena and its iconic ball-topped tower and called it the Reunion Tower and the Reunion Arena. And the tower is still today. It's part of the skyline of Dallas. It's probably the most recognizable feature. Well, the next Frenchman I'd like to talk about, Henri Castro. Now, anybody who's familiar with San Antonio or been in the San Antonio area knows of Castroville. And Castroville is a little area west of San Antonio. So Henri Castro was a French banker, and he helped the Republic of Texas obtain a loan from France. And as such, he was appointed as Texas' official representative to the French government. It helped the Republic stay alive in its first couple of years. I mean, that's the thing that I think is missed in a lot of the history of Texas, is that those five years when Texas stood alone as a republic were a shaky, rough time of holding it together. Very. And the the French were instrumental in being the first ones to sort of provide any recognition to Texas. Exactly. So in 1842, he developed this plan to build a colony in southwest Texas. He brought in 2,100 families, including a large number of people from Alsace. Alsace? Alsace. Yes, Alsace. Perfect. Founded uh, this community west of San Antonio, Casterville. It's also in parts of what's Medina County, and it's known as Medina Valley, is the actual school district in the area. Go Panthers. He was an excellent administrator for the colony and ensured they were well supplied uh, and they have what they needed to survive and thrive beyond his death in 1865. He is the exception. In fact, what's interesting is that my parents, shortly after they left college, were educators and they were teachers in Medina Valley for a while. And my dad had this friend, Carl, who was a big fellow, and he always talked about these these big Alsatian fellas. And I thought, like, since there's so much Czech and German and all that when I was a kid, I thought that that was just like, oh, that must be some kind of crazy... Some Eastern European... Some other Eastern group. European group that uh, resembles myself. But no, in fact, they're French. And, and today you can go to the town. Uh, a lot of the, their houses well over 100 years old. There's a lot of the original houses, a lot of the original buildings and things, and it has... Very much like Fredericksburg, and then it has a very quaint old European feel to it, and very much owes its roots to the uh, French colonists that found it, and very well grounded in that today. Let's wrap it up, and let's talk about why are the French important to Texas? And we kind of hinted at this before in some of our discussions. Uh, one of the areas that they're important is, is as I said, as La Salle and Saint-Denis came into this area and made their claims and made their presence known, it drew the the Spanish north of the Rio Grande. So it, it was just for simple defense purposes and to maintain their claim on the land. But they realized they couldn't just leave this huge empty area uh, unclaimed and unoccupied. So they did settle uh, the town of Nacogdoches just opposite of Natchitoches, their sister cities. The the town the missions around there were founded there. Uh, and then San Antonio ultimately was a San Antonio and then uh, Goliad La Bahia uh, in southeast Texas. Those are the kind of the areas where the Spanish presence really started to be known for the first time in Texas. Like you were saying earlier, La Salle going as far as the Rio Grande was the first kind of established the that southern border of what we know as Texas and was kind of the center of dispute between the U.S. and Mexico for many years. Yes, and and then the Shamdas, the, the Isle, uh, colony forced the U.S. and Spain to kind of settle their differences over the southeast border of Texas and then as well as the Red River border. Well, I think in addition to that, you know, we we see that there's this enduring legacy of the French participation in Texas. I mean, St. Denis still remains strong in that continued existence of of the cities you listed. The old San Antonio Road is something that every 
most every Texan probably knows, but doesn't really know the true history of. Definitely every Aggie who's ever driven uh, to College Station. Anyway, yes, that's absolutely true. At 90 miles an hour down a small town road. Yeah. Do uh, do people drive the OSR like they drive the Route 66? Oh, not not quite. It's more like, how fast can I get to get to my apartment so I can go to Northgate? So there are pieces of the French legacy that still exist in terms of the people and the influences of the cities and that kind of thing. That and Castroville is, is a very thriving, like you said, it's a thriving town. It's, it's its own culture and its own heritage that is really on display. I was baptized there, you know, yes. in the beautiful cathedral in downtown Castroville. And Lacoste has the highest pro- proportion of Alsatians in the United States. The other thing that came up in the research that you talked about, Sean, was there's this inspiration outside of Texas of what this romantic ideal represents in terms of there's French literature from the period that very much romanticized the French expert. Even after they failed, there's still lots of literature that was written about these, these explorers and what they were building. And even today. And, and, and I think that's, that's one of the things is that as Texans and as Texas, we aspire to a romantic ideal of our own. And and France is known for its own uh, romantic ideal. So I think we have a kindred spirit with France. Uh, and I think that kindred spirit was seen when Texas was its own republic and France had just gone through its republican period. And I think it continues today is that romantic uh, notion of myth over reality that Texans and French people both embrace. And I imagine young French children reading about the uh, adventures of La Salle, much like we would imagine the adventures of astronauts flying into space. No, or Daniel Boone. Exploring or, new frontiers. Right, or Daniel Boone or Christopher Columbus. Those of you that are knowledgeable of Texas history may have noticed that we left out one very significant Frenchman. That would be one Jean Lafitte. Um, growing up in Texas City, that was a major point of our Texas history class. We spent a lot of time talking about Jean Lafitte as the pirate captain uh, who established himself in Galveston and all along the Gulf Coast. Right, but his life is uh, very complicated, and his role in Texas is very complicated, and he's deserving of his own episode. Uh, so you can look forward to that coming up in uh, in the future. And Scott, to answer your question earlier, there is a section of the Six Flags Park that is devoted to France. Uh, it is very small. Uh, it is in the uh, right at the outside the main entrance as you walk through towards the Confederacy part. But in the past, when it was built, the, this French section was very large. It was actually considerably larger than it is today. And so, again, that's another subject we'll get to in future podcasts is the Six Flags Over Texas, the other Six Flags Over Texas, the theme park. Uh, but, yes, there is a small section that is for France. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so please follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast or go to brainstaple.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm at Max Sean with two N's. I am Scotticus on Twitter. If you like the show, please tell your friends, leave a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook. It all really helps us out. We hope you join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.